but it was one of those things that we bring from a openness perspective of, hey, how do we make that apply to a health system? And that's the sort of things that we will be working on in the future. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, listeners. David Wright here. I'm your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital podcast. And this afternoon or or this morning on the West Coast, I'm joined by Stephen Michaels. Stephen, it's great to have you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Really appreciate the, uh, the chance to speak today. Love the podcast and looking forward to it. So Stephen, tell me a little bit about your current role. You're at SCL, right? That's correct. So currently I am the vice president and chief technology officer for SCL Health. And that role is traditional in its structure, not really traditional in the way that we deliver technologies. We've always been very innovative and doing different approaches. But, you know, I have the data center technologies, network, server storage, service desk, the caregiver experience group and stuff like that. So excellent. I'll look forward to understanding a little bit more about that, that caregiver experience. But before we uh, get into that, what's one piece of actionable advice you could look to give our, our listeners today? I would say never stop being a student. One of the things that has really driven me in my career and in life is just a thirst for knowledge. I'm always reading something, always trying to consume something new. And it's kind of funny when I went through my academic like college and then kind of working on the graduate degree and stuff like that. It's funny that about every year or so I get this motivation to try to learn something new, you know, like I'm going to focus on getting my Six Sigma certification. That's something I did, you know, many years ago. So but the things like that have kind of always came up and it has helped me in the workplace and in my personal life because there's two forms of student for me. There's the student and kind of my personal life of trying to be a, a better person spiritually and stuff like that. But from a professional perspective, I always try to read and understand what's new and what's going on and, you know, leadership books and things like that. And it's kind of interesting how that generates, 
I could be reading a book about, like, for example, I was most recently reading a book called The Digital Body Language. And it's a great book, by the way. And it kind of talks about post-COVID digital world that we live in. But it helps generate ideas for the workplace, even if it has nothing to do about the topic. So that'd be my advice is never stop being a student. I love that you touched on the, the spiritual element, too. I mean, for me, I am a student of the world. I, I'm also I got advice years ago to, to continue reading. I try to read a book every week or two. But for me, being grounded in gratitude and, and having a spiritual connection is just paramount. You know, without it, I can't do anything else. So, Same here. I mean, I, I'm a Christian by faith and that kind of being able to be grounded in something that's bigger than yourself, whatever that is for you, is to me super, super important because otherwise you get hung up on the, the details in life that really at the end of the day don't really matter much. As a leader, sometimes I'll get sucked into that success and that achievement. And I mean, it's important to have drive and, and ambition, but you know, what's it all for if you're not grounded in what's really important? for me is faith and love and family. Absolutely. So Stephen, tell me a little bit about where you started out. How did you get to where you are now? How did your career begin in, in IT? So for me, my career was sort of dictated for me based upon an examination that I took when I entered the Air Force. Well, it was two factors, really. So one of them was the fact that I had took this test that they give every new recruit and that test determines like whether you, you're in engineering or you have some other type of uh, background. And, and so I scored really high in engineering and, and mechanical. But the other part about that, your career path is your physical ability to do certain things. And in my case, I had no idea, but apparently I had a slight hearing loss, which in my wife today is will tell you is selective, but the, <laughs> but the fact is, is that they wouldn't let me work on aircraft because of the noise. And so that automatically put me down kind of this technical path. And I would say that it worked pretty well because I was like a, you know, a fish in water and, and loved being a part of technology. This would have been 1992. That was pretty early on from a small computing perspective, like the, the terminals that were on the desk and stuff like that were, you know, most of them were, were old school, but it was kind of the birth of Windows. That was a lot of fun to be a part of at the time because it was really changing the environment. And then like what's fascinating is, uh, so fast forward a few years, I get one of these, you know, mysterious phone calls that recruited me into special operations in the military. And I had to go through this whole process of where they try to figure out like, you know, my abilities and, and that sort of stuff. But that part of my life was really instrumental because in the special operations world, the whole purpose is that you're doing things that are non-standard that had not been done before or, you know, or just are unique. And what that did for my career was just helped kind of tool this ability to kind of be innovative and come up with creative ideas that aren't always technical per se. Sometimes they can be simple, but it really helped guide my path. And I've been able to kind of springboard off of that. And so I, I spent years in the telecommunications industry for a while. And then I got into healthcare about a decade ago, well, probably a little more than a decade ago. And, and I started off in pharmaceutical and then I got into healthcare delivery about five years ago. So 
And what's interesting is, is that, and, and this will be my advice to anybody is be selective about where you want to work. Because like when I think about my days of being in special operations, it was really long days, a lot of, of being away from the family and the, those sort of things. But one of the hardest working times of my life, but also one of the funnest, because I absolutely loved what I did. I believed in what I was doing. And I found that again, when I got into healthcare, specifically healthcare delivery, because of just the sheer impact that my role and my team's role make on patient care. And so when you think about our families, and when you come to a hospital or a doctor's office, in most cases, it's it's not a, a joyous occasion unless you're having a baby, right? And so, but it's really, really important that when you do come into one of our facilities that you're not disrupted by technology issues or having some sort of thing like that, that absolutely would be a failure as far as I'm concerned. And so we work hard to make sure that doesn't happen. From a technical perspective, I've done just about everything. Like I've, you know, from desktop computers to databases, software development, infrastructure, you, you name it. And that's been another blessing that I had was just being able to kind of do different segmentations along my career. Very cool. Um, you touched on a few things, but I'll throw this question out there. What's one of the most important things that you've learned in your life, either professionally or personally? And what was like life like before learning it and after learning it? That's honestly an easy one. It is that I learned to not worship other things besides the one thing I'm supposed to worship. In my life, I was a kind of a workaholic and an overachiever. And what that turned into in my life was I started to worship my work. It's kind of funny, like one of the best things that's ever happened to me is I lost my job. People have said that before and it never made sense to me. But like in my career, I had always moved very fast and rapid throughout my career. And then an organizational change occurred. And next thing you know, I'm on the market. That was like devastating for me. But it was a true soul searching moment to where I had to realize that there was a greater power that had my life in mind that gave me my life. And that was way more important than my job. And what's crazy is, is that I think it really made me better at work, you know, because the fact of the matter is, is that if you're constantly focused on something and over worried about it, you become less effective. And that's really probably the biggest thing that ever happened in my life, besides like getting married and having kids and stuff like that. I mean, those are the really important things. But, you know, just from a career perspective, kind of getting away from really worshiping work was really the best thing. I actually had, you know, came to that realization years ago. And then since founding Disruptive Innovations in the beginning of 2018, obviously being an entrepreneur, scaling a company, I mean, it's easy to get caught up in that mindset. My wife sent me a podcast on workaholism the other day, and I started reading a book by a Harvard professor named Arthur Brooks. It's called From Strength to Strength. And it's about the two intelligence curves we have in life and how, well, I should just say for me, relevant to what you said, if I'm driven from a place of fear, losing what I have or not getting what I think I need, it's not a great place to be. And I, I had one of the 
largest meetings of my career. It went great. And being that I had lost focus, I realized like, well, what does that mean if I'm not prioritizing the things that are truly important in life? So I appreciate that advice. Let's talk a little bit about a failure that you've experienced. What's one of your biggest learning moments from a a failure that you had across the course of your career or your life? The biggest failure that I had was taking a position for the money. It was actually when I left the Air Force, I was at a, I was a kind of at a turning point in my career that I either had to decide, was that going to be my career until I retired or was I going to leave? And so in my situation, because I had this, you know, amazing security clearance because of what I was doing and I had IT experience, I became a really good candidate to be a defense contractor. Uh, working in DC. And so I took a job and like literally from Friday to Monday, my pay triples. So just thought it was going to be amazing. What it turned out to be was a, uh, and I won't disclose who I was working for or anything like that, just to protect the situation, I guess. But I could be doing that job today, going into that office, doing nothing. And I'm not so sure David, anybody would even notice. I probably could still be doing that today. That was the worst. I mean, it was the worst. Like, I, I literally was was looking for things to do. I would go to the data center and like help the junior engineers build servers. Like, I was like so. Uh, but it was one of those things where I should have paid attention more about what the role was and how meaningful it was going to be. And I, I think that was one of those things that I've carried with me. And, you know, for me, the the failure was that I kind of moved my family and kind of made this whole trek only to get there and realize, oh, my goodness, I'm just not happy. I'm not happy. This isn't great. And then I had to kind of uproot the family and kind of move again, you know, uh, after suffering through it for a little while. Uh, but but it was one of those things that I've carried with me to to know that find something that you're going to be happy doing uh, and then let the money thing work itself out. You know, don't, don't chase the money just to chase a dollar because it, it doesn't really pay good dividends. You'll just find more junk to spend that money on anyway. So I want to get into a little bit more about SCL. I know you guys have a lot of stuff going on. You know, we mentioned, you know, being a student of the world, kind of what's one of your favorite books or blogs that you're into right now? So uh, one of my favorite books or a series of books is the Patrick Lencioni series. He's like one of my favorite, you know, the five dysfunctions and the speed of trust and those. I definitely love, I'm not a, not a, a fiction reader. I don't really get into reading fiction books. His books are a fable based. So they're sort of fiction, but they're based on, you know, business improvement principles and things like that. So I really kind of like those. I had a former boss, uh, his name was Sandy Piscitello, and we actually lost uh, Sandy this year. It was a, just an instrumental in our career. And that's who introduced me to Patrick Lenzioni and, and his books. But I am constantly reading uh, you know, different stuff. And, you know, it's one of those things, like I said, I just recently finished the Digital Body Language, uh, which is a good one. There's an author. Her name is is Lovey Ajayi. It's Lovey with two U's. And so I recently completed one of her books. It's called The Professional Troublemaker. 
it was so interesting to get her perspective of what it's like to be in the workplace. And, and in her case, she's an African-American female. Her family is from Uganda. And man, it just like really opened my eyes to one, how privileged my life has been because of some of the things that, that she had to go through be trying to be in the workplace with who she was that really I never have had to worry about. Like I, there's just certain things that it just has never been a concern of mine. And, but it was just really fascinating. And so I found one of her older books recently. In fact, and that's the reason I brought it up is actually, I'm actually reading her book from 2016 called I'm Judging You. And it's more about like, you know, people. It's, you know, people's personalities and, and the types of friends you have and that sort of So it's not really a business book. I'm only halfway through it, unless, unless she gets to business at the end. But <laughs> I'm halfway through that one. That's great. I mean, I, I love this question. Because I always get a book or two that, that I can pick up after the, the podcast. So thank you for that. So you're a CTO of SCL. You guys, obviously, big news. You're merging with Intermountain, which is huge. Let's talk a little bit about your vision. What's your vision for SCL moving forward? Yeah, so the vision that, that we have is to really focus on you know, serving our communities continuing to focus on healthcare. Uh, and, and what's interesting is, is that in our world, we have a mix of urban settings. Like we have St. Joseph's that's in downtown Denver, and we have very rural uh, settings where we, we have a hospital in Miles City, Montana, which is a really small uh, community. And so we really get the full spectrum of that. And really the focus that, so I've been here three years. And so me and my, my peers and, and stuff in technology has really just looked at ways to innovate the organization. And SEL Health has been just a, an amazing organization to embrace a lot of the change and so forth that, that we bring. And it's kind of with the Intermountain piece and the merger, kind of the way that whole thing came about was just through a conversation and at, at the very highest levels. And the conversation was how much the two organizations are alike. And so the, the unlike is, is that, you know, SEL Health was a Catholic health organization and Intermountain is, is secular. The bridging of the two organizations, we're keeping our Catholic foundation for like St. Joseph's and, and, and all those hospitals. That doesn't change. But we kind of went overnight from being, you know, eight hospitals, you know, supporting uh, three states to being the 11th the largest healthcare system in the country from a nonprofit perspective, 14th if you add in the, the profits. But this is the first true merger that I've been a part of. Most companies I've worked for, we would have mergers and acquisitions, and sometimes the acquisition would be referred to as a merger. And even though, like, Intermountain was much larger to a certain degree. A lot of it had to do with the fact they have a health plan and some other stuff like that. But it truly was a merger. There was just a merger of the organization. Our new executive team is almost equally split between the two companies and stuff like that. And so a lot of our focus has kind of been on kind of getting through day one, which happened a few weeks ago, getting the teams together and structured and, and who reports to who, but also from a collaboration and technology perspective, it's super, super important that we can see each other's calendars and we can, you know, uh, communicate with each other and chat and, and that sort of stuff. So 
a lot of that work is has been underway and really made for a very successful day one. But we'll continue to focus on kind of bridging the technology stacks together. So that that'll be a lot of effort for us. The good news is there's a lot of similarities in that space. I think there'll be a tremendous amount of synergies to make that happen. But again, at the end of the day, for us, it's all about the patients and the patients' families. And so that is really our, our focus above all else, is making sure that everything that we have in place is working like it should and that we create the correct level of effort and response to the people that are actually uh, physicians and nurses that are providing that care. It's just, I can't emphasize enough how important that is to us. You touched on caregiver experience earlier. Could you expand on the importance of that for SCL a little bit? Yeah. So one of the things that is like is very important to us is, is we don't just want to be a support mechanism for the organization, right? So the way that our organization is structured the technology actually falls under strategy. And so that's super important because uh, we have matured to that level so that we're a part of the conversation as an organization of where that strategy goes. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it comes down to what does the physician get or the nurse get or the, the teams at the hospitals and doctor's offices? Like at the end of the day, what, what are they getting? We have, you know, a traditional setup. We have service desk and we have desk side teams and that sort of stuff. But we've tried to go for a step further and really kind of go from being a great response team, uh, but, but try to be proactive and make sure that when a physician does contact us, it's more of an exception than the rule. And man, when you really start fishing for things, it's amazing what you can find. For example, we've started looking into when people are hired. And man, when you start looking at like, hey, day one of an employee to the organization, we, we call our associates caregivers. So a caregiver comes into organization and it doesn't matter if you're finance or you're, or you're a brain surgeon, you come in and you start getting access, whatever. And in almost every organization I've worked for, there's a pattern. And the pattern is, is that almost immediately within your first few days, you have to contact IT. And so we've really tried to focus on streamlining the disruptions that occur and make it frictionless so that you can kind of come in and do your job and that sort of thing. Same with the way that we respond is we're trying to be frictionless. Like we, we introduced chat and chat bots and stuff like that so that you're not waiting on someone. You're able to just get an answer right away. And so it's really kind of a vision that, that I have is to change the whole caregiver experience in regards to how they consume technology. And one of the things that we've started is we actually have, a, we call it a tech deck. And it's similar to the Apple Genius Bar, where it kind of removes the doors where IT is hiding behind walls to be in a walk-up service. In the office I'm in here, there is a, a, a walk-up, uh, we call it the tech deck. We let the team pick the name. But it is, you know, where you can just walk up and get services. Again, it's all about removing the friction of, you know, either having to pick up the phone or whatever. If it's more convenient for you to just walk up and request what you need, then we're there for you. And so, you know, if it's better for you to call in, we're there for you as there as well. If you prefer to chat, we can do that as, as well. 
But again, like we're constantly looking for patterns of what's causing these disruptions so that we can remove those frictions in the first place. So that, you know, hopefully, you know, we, we love to hear from you, but we also don't want to hear from you. We'd rather you be able to do your job. I love that on a number of different levels. I mean, first you talked about how the fact that digital and IT need to be fully integrated into the, the health system strategy, right? And I, I think, you know, the fact that you guys are taking that holistic approach is so crucial right now in when it comes to really truly optimizing the patient experience as well as as the caregiver experience. That's huge for us because what's interesting about digital transformation, right, is digital transformation is is a generational thing is the way I see it, right? And depending on where you are in the generational spectrum, either you were born into a world where digital already existed, like my sons. Both I've got both my sons are, are in college. Or you were born into a world where it didn't exist. You know, and kind of depending on how your journey has been, it's going to be very important to how you want to interact. So for example, my sons will absolutely not order food from a place where you have to call a phone number and actually talk to somebody. Right. And I'm kind of in the middle. Right. So in a similar fashion, if I'm a consumer, I'm going to look at every digital path I can go down to try to not to talk to you. If I could put an order in online or I can request service or, or whatever that is. And in healthcare, it's interesting. Some business segmentations have the benefit of the generational gaps can be narrowed depending on what it is, right? But in healthcare, not only do we have every generation as a consumer, as a patient, patient family, but we tend to have a much older population because, frankly, my sons who are in college never go to the doctor. And so they're healthy. And so, so you kind of have the whole spectrum. And so it's interesting when you're in like, my role or my peers' roles, and we're trying to kind of be leaning forward from a digital perspective. And the folks that are on the front lines that are talking to patients, they're talking to our grandparents, our grandmothers, and they're like, look, they're probably not going to, you know, download a mobile app. But the fact of the matter is, is you and I, if you don't have a mobile app, I'm probably going to choose a different hospital, right? <laughs> I prefer to do everything on my mobile app and I can get my test results, all that good sort of stuff. And so it's kind of a, a really kind of interesting world to be in in healthcare because we, we have a full spectrum from a digital experience of having to make sure that the folks that have uh, very little interest in being digital to the people that are, it better be all digital or I'm not doing anything with you. <laughs> and what we've seen is, you know, the people that kind of teeter on that edge, if you can make the experience highly personalized and radically convenient, they realize, oh, well, that was a lot easier than calling someone. Once they have that experience, then that's the way they want to consume healthcare. You know, it's kind of uh, the mobile app has really been a game changer in most industries and it's the stickiness. And so early on in my career, when I was in telecommunications, for example, you'd, I'd hear these marketing folks talking about like that stickiness. And, and so, like, hey, if we start offering 
voice service that has stickiness, you know, and like whatever. And so you try to bundle, you know, solutions like whatever. But I'll tell you, the app really does it. If your app works well, and 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 I've got a peer. Her name is Mona Bassett, and she is just outstanding. So she has a marketing communications background. She's a game changer for us because she just has a an exceptional vision for how to deliver those services. And so she has kind of revamped our mobile app and kind of made that whole experience a frictionless and and easy as possible. You know, on the same side, from a data perspective, you're seeing a lot of trends in healthcare where we're trying to give you your data a lot more accessible. So, for example, I just recently had an annual exam and I got the results from my blood work before the physician even commented. And so it was like I got the results. I was able to go in there and see them. I'm like, well, we watch the cholesterol. Well, a couple of days later, it was like, you know, you know, the physician's like, hey, you know, what? not only did you watch cholesterol, but here's how, you know, and all of that was digital. The whole thing was was all via the, the mobile app. And it'll keep my records in there so I can kind of see the trends and, and so forth like that if I need to do other appointments. And if I need to send that doctor a message, I can do it all right there in the app. It's really that that app piece has a tremendous amount of stickiness and it does create a lot of loyalty. At the end of the day, we have to be really good at healthcare. You know, you can add all the digital components you want to it, but our physicians and nurses and stuff have to be the skilled professionals that they are. And ours are highly skilled and we are a great organization because of it. But being able to kind of just put that icing on the cake of having a very seamless digital experience is super, super important. Great insight. Any other key initiatives that you guys are focused on right now that you think are worth uh, telling the listeners about? Well, from a technology perspective, we, like most organizations, we are on a cloud journey. We are delivering a lot more solutions via software as a service. The um, kind of making the, the data center more resilient as far as being able to burst to the cloud. We have a Google Cloud instance. We also have a Microsoft Azure instance, and we partner with companies like VMware and stuff, being able to kind of extend our environments and stuff. That, that's a game changer for healthcare in a sense that disaster recovery is a big part of our responsibility and, you know, our systems have to work. And so traditionally, healthcare has invested a lot of money in that space. And cloud has really given us the ability to burst and not have to sink a bunch of capital investment into an environment that, frankly, we may never and we hope we never use, but it has to be there. That's a, a back end game changer for us. On the front end is we've actually partnered with uh, Genesis. And so we're actually migrating our contact center component over to Genesis. And, and I'm partnering with Mona Bassett. She is actually uh, we are now a kind of a dovetailing Salesforce with that. So we're kind of using the, the Salesforce agent to kind of complement Genesis. And Genesis is a great platform for many reasons. It actually kind of out of the box just gave us a lot of multi-channel capabilities for being able to contact patients in various uh, meeting them where they are, so to speak, whether you're email, text, phone. And uh, kind of the Salesforce component makes us better at interacting with you and being able to kind of see that, you know, Stephen just had a uh, an annual physical and he's probably calling about, you know, his follow-up appointment or like, whatever, you know, so there's a lot of this stuff that helps us be able to ease your experience uh, in that regard. So the, the context for the center space is huge. 
The second thing that it does for us is, is it's a, it's a cloud-based solution as well. So we're using Genesis Pure Cloud. We're not really having to host that, that environment in, in our data centers and stuff like that. Yeah, that's probably one of our most frequent initiatives in healthcare right now is that cloud contact center. When you talk about what's possible from a self-service and artificial intelligence standpoint, once that's integrated with your EHR and with your CRM, I mean, the efficiencies are are huge. And I mean, it's from a business standpoint, I mean, it could be your largest source of revenue if you have that really humming. So what are some of the best practices you and your team follow? Honestly, I would say the number one best practice is just to be continuously learning. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, the uh, Vince Lombardi quote where he says, you know, we're going to continue to pursue perfection, knowing full well it cannot be achieved, but as a part of the process, we'll achieve excellence. And it's one of those things where I also carry from the Air Force is if something went wrong in the Air Force, specifically if an aircraft accident occurred or something like that, is there's a whole process of just basically going back and just totally learning everything that happened. When they dig into well, how much sleep did the pilot have, did, you know, like did, when was the last time this maintenance occurred? And in our space, that just continuous pursuit of perfection is super, super important. And so I think as a leader, you have to think about how do I apply that? How do I look at everything we're doing with this goal of we could be a little better? And there's a balance of, you know, one, knowing you can achieve perfection. So there is a risk sometimes of being over perfect oriented and you end up being slow and you can't deliver. So I'm, I'm not advocating that, but it has to always be on your mind. And so, you know, we use a lot of ITIL practices. We're a service now shop. And so that brings a lot of value to the organization because that gives you data. It gives you the processes around continuous improvement and that sort of stuff. And so the other best practice uh, that, that we apply here is we kind of have this concept of products and platforms. And so the products is what we as an organization deliver to Intermountain Health. So a product would be like technology or a product, uh, you know, would be digital. You know, we deliver a digital experience. And so from a platform perspective, we kind of highlight some of these strategic platform partners that we have. One would be like Salesforce, for example. Epic is one of our, our EHRs. And the best practice is, is that as, as an organization, you need to kind of call out what those are. And ours are pretty simple. You know, it's like, you know, we have ServiceNow, for example, uh, Salesforce. But what that does is, is when you kind of call that out, and what we did is we created this culture of any time that the teams are working on something new, or if they're refreshing something, something is end of life and is ready to be refreshed, they should ask themselves, does one of these strategic platforms do what we either need or what we're refreshing? And the goal there is, is to continue to take partnerships with, you know, someone like a Salesforce or a ServiceNow and try to go as deep as possible in those relationships because it benefits both parties, frankly. But it also helps to, over time, start to simplify your technology stack. 
The only challenge you'll have with that best practice is, is that what you'll find is that, you know, you'll have platforms that both do the same thing. <laughs> so you'll find that ServiceNow also does some of the Salesforce stuff. But even in that case, it helps you kind of pick whichever one's better at whatever it is the particular need is. I agree wholeheartedly. Last couple questions here. This is a bit of an ambiguous question, but where do you see the healthcare industry going in the future? And, and what do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes? I think where healthcare is going in the future is moving to more of community-based health, value-based care. That is where it's going. And, you know, one of the things I love about what Intermountain brings is our ability to find disruptors, frankly, in the market and say, hey, we need to learn from that. Or so, so Intermountain kind of has this history of growing itself by taking on those types of things, even if it means that it disrupts what we're doing. And so you think about the way that care is being delivered. What's, what's happened over the last decade is the incentives to, to kind of make us more healthy is why your doctors and stuff are trying to guide you down that path. Because honestly, at the end of the day, it's the right thing to do. And so as caregivers, that's really been our focus and will continue to be is just making the population we serve healthier. And so from, from the payer's perspective, there's incentives to do that because it makes sense for them. But also looking at the way that things are being disrupted in the market, that value-based approach in care we could have easily just said, well, we can't do that because we don't, we, we do it differently. But it was one of those things that we bring from a openness perspective of, hey, how do we make that apply to a health system? And that's the sort of things that we will be working on in the future is kind of making that transition because the folks that are consuming healthcare are becoming more and more driven by value. And so, like, I even think about years ago when my boys played sports, I would go to CVS to get their sports physical because they were 40 bucks, right? And so when you, you know, my, my parents' generation, health insurance was totally different. I mean, it was like, you know, they basically, health insurance paid for everything. But, you know, me and you, it's not that way. You know, that sports physical I had to pay for. And so, of course, I went to CVS to get it done. That's, that's one of the things. And so... For healthcare systems, we have to understand that. We have to be competitive, frankly, and making sure we're giving the best possible care and meeting the patients where they need us. I love that you guys are focused on value and visibility and transparency. I think, you know, all the right things. All right, last question. If you could go back in time five or 10 years, what advice would you give your younger self? It's kind of funny, like, I was actually listening to a song yesterday, and I've heard this song a dozen times. I'm kind of a, a Luke Combs fan, right? I actually saw him recently at his... My, my son goes to Appalachian State University, and that's where Luke Combs went to school. And he did a concert at, at App State Football Stadium, so I was able to go there. It's really cool. But the name of the song, I think the name of the song is called Today. And the song kind of goes where this is tomorrow talking to today. You know, he says, this is tomorrow here saying hello today, basically giving today advice, you know, today meaning what we're doing today. And it just really resonated with me just in the last couple of days. So it's kind of funny you asked this question 
because it's really true. Like you always want to be, you know, thinking about what I'm doing today is going to impact where I am in a few years. And so, you know, I think the biggest advice is, is to just continue to keep your head down because everything that I'm doing today is going to make the next decade better or worse, depending on, on what I choose to do. And when I think about like those times that, man, I was just, my kids were young and I was trying to coach soccer practice, you know, while going to school and serving in the military and like whatever, all that stuff I did in, in my 20s and 30s or whatever, man, that, that made my 40s pretty cool. You know, so it's just a lot of work, a lot of investment. And so the advice to myself would be to never stop working hard because everything you do today is just an investment in tomorrow. Steven, thanks so much for your time this afternoon, this morning. And uh, again, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.